Well, last, <clears throat> excuse me. Last week we started uh, this message series called "Building Godly Families," and it's uh, envisioned to be a five-week series. We've got uh, four pieces on the puzzle on the screen. You'll see the fifth when we get there. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different. But uh, we talked last week about the important step of making that lasting commitment to God and committing to His ways uh, above all else. And we looked at the story of Joshua as he called the people of Israel back together uh, just before he passed away to call them to a renewed commitment to God, to say, we're all in, we're all about God, we don't want any other gods, we don't want other things to get in the way of him being first in our lives. And it's such an important commitment. So with that commitment made, then I want us to turn, now I want us to turn to the book of Ephesians where Paul addresses, (coughs) excuse me, addresses um, a church, but it was probably more than one church. If you look in the, in the book of Revelation, you'll find Ephesus mentioned uh, as one of the seven churches uh, of the Revelation. And I believe that when Paul wrote this letter to Ephesus, it was meant to be shared among all the other churches. So it was much broader. In fact, when you read the book of Ephesians, you find that he's not really dealing with one issue at one church. He's dealing with life issues, bigger issues if you will. And so he, he, he's dealing with a group of people or groups of people who came from a very pagan background, who came from a very polytheistic background, and also a very, I believe, abusive background. Uh, they tended to treat their wives little more than slaves, possession. Their children weren't any better uh, the men were, and, and they, and so he's writing to a group of people who've heard the gospel, who've trusted Christ, who've come to know Jesus. Their lives are changing, but they need to be instructed on how to be the people they need to be. And that's what I believe I want you to see this morning. We're going to start with the guys, uh, and then we're next week uh, we're going to gingerly talk to the ladies, gently and graciously. Uh, and then the week after that, we're going to let the kids have it. So just let you know, that's kind of where we're headed over three weeks. Uh, but we're going to talk today to the men because really, uh, I believe that is where uh, it begins. Uh, today, there's a lot of discussion about male and female roles. Um, one of the fun things about having a daughter at a university is she shares information about books that are coming out and resources, and I get to look at some of these things. And there's a lot of discussion in our culture today about men and women and their roles. Where do we fit in? What's our place? And uh, there was a recent uh, book written uh, out of a Baylor University uh, uh, scholar talking about that uh, the men and male and female roles are nothing more than social constructs, and that we've just given ourselves into these this thoughts, but I got to tell you, the idea of men and women complementing each other, and that's what we're talking about over these three weeks, is a biblical principle. Men aren't better than women. Remember, he's writing to a culture that thought that. Women aren't less than men. That was a culture that thought that. Instead, Paul is telling them we have roles we fill, complementary roles, roles that we walk together and serve together and, and be God's people together. And so we're going to talk to the guys today, but ladies, y'all go ahead and listen in. Don't take a nap. Uh, don't miss out. You may, you may want to say an amen along the way. I don't know. Uh, you might not. I, you just never know what'll come out of here. So, uh, but we want to embrace the differences and we want to live as godly families. And so we're going to take up the, the, the call for men first, and we're going to find three things that, that godly men need to be living as. This message is basically, uh, the thought behind it is it's an, it's an aspirational message. 
Uh, you're going, what does that mean? This is what, guys, we should aspire to be. This is what, as a child of God, as a son of God, this is who we ought to be. This is a disruption for us. So we're going to pick up in verse 25. Remember, he's writing to a culture where almost everyone was married. By the time they were old enough to be out of diapers, almost, they married younger and they lived shorter lives. So he writes to them appropriately to their culture. Look at verse 25 with me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this word. Father, what a, a challenging word, especially in our day when we seem to have attacks on marriage on every side, attacks on male and female roles from every side. That Father, we as your children want to understand what you have for us and how you call us to live our lives as men, as women, as children, and how we can be the people you want us to be, to have a godly family that honors you, a godly life that blesses you. Father, show us what you need us to see this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, three areas that godly men need to live, how we need to live. The first one is this. We are called, I believe, to live transformationally. Now, what does that mean? As we look into the passage, what we discover is a charge, uh, a responsibility, if you want to put it another way, that's given <coughs> to husbands, excuse me. They're to love their wives. But listen, that's not a love for convenience sake. That was how the Ephesian citizens lived. The wife was a convenient partner in life, well, a participant in life, if you want to put it another way. She was just there, and, and Paul says, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to have a very specific love for your wife, a life, a love that is transformational, a love that changes everything about you and your family. He says, I want you to love as Christ loved the church. Now, guys, I got to tell you, that's a high calling, isn't it? What he's telling us, men, is this. You need to live and love like Jesus loves the church. Wow. That's a heavy weight. That's a heavy call. That's a high call. That's a high aspiration. It's a love that is not focused inward, rather a love that is focused outward and upward, not on ourselves but on others. By definition, listen, guys, this is the antithesis of the human condition. We're more concerned about us and getting ours than anything else from a human standpoint. So the big idea is that we're to be transformed, changed. Consider this, Christ loves you how? Let me give you a couple of, of adjectives to go with it. He loves us unconditionally. That's how you're supposed to love 
Your wife? He loves us completely. He leaves us, loves us sacrificially. The list could go on, right? He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. That doesn't sound like our love, does it, naturally? Guys, we don't love naturally, unconditionally. We don't love sacrificially. We don't love like Jesus without Jesus' presence in our lives. And that's the big idea I want you to see. It transforms us and changes us. And his love goes beyond our flaws and failings. And it changes us from what we were to what he wants us to be. So the big idea is this. Christ, as Christ loves us, then we can then love others. And we have this new status and this new direction and this new purpose and this new meaning that we didn't have before Christ. It's like a ship tossed in the waves. Before. Now we have a course. We have a direction. And that's what brings me to the, the thought I want you to see. Our commitment to Christ transforms us because of his intimate presence in our lives. Some of you guys are saying, well, you're putting a whole lot on me. Uh, yeah, Paul did. Jesus does. We should. It's on us, guys. In Christ, we have a meaning now. We have a purpose now. We have a direction now. We have a, a, a way to go that is not ours but his. See, for men, this means life becomes less focused on our needs and on the needs of others instead of on the need, instead on the needs of others. Our role is to take up, our job is to take up the role of lifting up and encouraging those around us, our wives, if God has blessed us with a wife, our children, if we have them. That's our task, our job. You're going, well, that's a whole lot on us. Why can't she do it? Oh, we'll get to her next week nicely, okay? Listen, but for now, guys, we're talking about you and me, okay? We have a job. And because of our commitment to Christ, he changes us into what he wants us to be. We have a new purpose, a new meaning. It means we're not focused on us. We lift up and encourage. For the unmarried man, you go, well, so this doesn't apply to me. I'm not. No, it still applies to you too. You have people around you to encourage and lift up. Just as Christ loved the church, so Christ loves the church, so a godly husband lays down his life for the greater good, willing to do whatever it takes. That's part of this transformation. Over in John's account of the gospel, he tells us what Jesus tells us is so appropriate here. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends, for those around him. Let me tell you, this, this may actually be the most difficult part of following Jesus, especially in a culture that is so self-centered and, and so self-absorbed like ours, like the church in Ephesus faced. We helplessly are blind to the negativity of our old sin nature. We're blind to the impact it makes on our lives. We're blind to what it can cause us to do in the name of God even. And we'll overlook our faults, but we'll, we'll see the faults of everybody else. Our commitment to Christ transforms us because of his intimate presence within us and changes us, transforms us from selfish, self-centered individuals to a man becoming more and more like Jesus. That's our goal. Guys, that's our aspiration. Our second one is this, is that godly men live generously generously. Look at verse 28 to 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So as we're living transformationally, our attitude about generosity begins to get changed as well. The phrase that's right there in the beginning of this part of the passage, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, has always struck me as pretty hard. You think, man... Guys, our human nature is to take care of us, isn't it? To make sure we've got our, our stuff and our things and our toys and our abilities and our things. I'm not saying any of that stuff's wrong. But in Christ, we become generous. We're changed. Let's be honest here. Every man, every person has a self-image that impacts us. And we typically <clears throat> do the things we do that we think will bring about the, an outcome that is consistent with what we think is best. I've never found too many people who say, I'm going to do this, although I know it's the wrong thing to do because I think it's going to bring about a good outcome. Most of us do what we do because we think it's going to bring about something good. And by the way, we do it because we're convinced it's right. And so we do it. So the actions we commit, the directions we move, they're intended to meet our needs. Let me tell you something, that's just us being human. Or as I would put it, humans being human. We do what we think is right. But but, but what we do because we think it's going to bring about the best outcome. But a man who's committed to Christ, who's surrendered to Christ, who's sold out to Christ and to God has done this. He said, I'm going to be, as for me and my house, we're going to what? Serve the Lord, like we talked about last week. And it takes this self-love and turns it outward. For the married man, that means we turn toward our wives and we serve them. Acts of service, if that's the right way to do it. Gifts, if it's the way to do it. Whatever the language of the wife is what, what, what the call is here. And so for the unmarried man, though, it, it still it applies. We have acts of service, things to do. And our love for self becomes a love for others. Not centered on me, but on thee instead. Which leads me to this thought. We choose to love generously like Jesus how, how does Christ love you? How does Christ love me? How does Christ love us, if you want to get out there? He loves us, what, fully? Fully. There's no hesitation in his love for you. You go, well, I don't know if he loves He loves you. Oh, how he loves you. He loves you unconditionally. Does that mean he approves of everything we do? No, but he loves us unconditionally the same. He loves us no matter what situation we're in, no matter what place we're in. He loves us totally. Well, he loves this part, but not that part. No, he loves it all. He loves us completely. He loves us sacrificially. He gave himself on the cross so that you could have life. I'd call that sacrificial. Just as the bridegroom does everything he can to build up and bless his, his bride, us, the church, he loves us so that he's willing to lay down his life. Guys, that's the calling. That's the aspiration in this part of the message. It's a high calling, yes. It's a hard calling, yes. But it's also what? A worthy calling. And it's an amazing calling. I think sometimes we don't get it how much God loves us. That's how much he loves us is how much we're supposed to love those around us. 
And we love them in spite of their faults and their failings and their flaws. If we waited for God, if God had waited for us to finally get perfect, we'd never arrive, would we? No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Jesus' love is something, guys, we're called to generously emulate in our lives because of his presence within us. We choose to live like him, to love like him, to to walk like him, to talk like him, to sound like him, to act like him, to be generous like him. I'm reminded of the biblical description of love that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We sometimes read this at weddings, but, but I think it applies to us guys here today. Look at verse 4 and following in first thir- uh, verse Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Well, that's a word for men, isn't it? It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then love does what? It bears all things. (laughs) If you ever love somebody, you're going to have to learn how to bear some things, aren't you? Because let's just be honest, nobody's as perfect as we are. Or as much as we think we are. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It what? Endures all things. This is a generous love that God has for us and the one that we're called to have for one another that's released generously, not because we're so amazing, but because the God we serve is so amazing. And he's placed his presence within us. So godly men live transformationally, we live generously, and we're called to live wholeheartedly. Let me put that in a little more common way to say it. We're all in, okay? We're all in. Why? Because Jesus is all in for us. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there's a call in this passage for us to aspire to be wholehearted. Now, what does that mean? Let me, let me kind of break it down a little bit. Simply put, it's this. There's a complete, total, full commitment to the person God is making you into. Now, He's alluding to the relationship between Christ and the church. That is definitely a part of this. And there's a layer of that in Ephesians. We don't want to miss and ignore. But for us today, really the focus is on the relationship we have with one another. What Paul's telling the church at Ephesus, and I I think any of the other churches that read it, and oh, by the way, this church as we read it, is they need to be committed fully and totally to what God had for us. Consider the change that happens in a traditional marriage where two people, a man and a woman, become one family. 
No longer are they too independent. No longer are they on their own on every decision. Why? Because their choices impact each other. The way you respond impacts your spouse. The financial choices you make impacts your family. Paul tells them, leave your mama and your daddy. Okay, he didn't say mama and daddy, but you get the point, right? He wasn't just talking about that. He's talking about the impact, the change that comes from making this commitment to God and to our family and to our people around us and loving them. Godly men understand that while they still love and respect their parents, their commitment is to be the man that God needs them to be for where they are in life. You go, well, I, I got to check with mama first. I got to tell you, I loved my mother and I love my dad. And I'll talk to my dad about a lot of things. But at the end of the day, there's another father that's way more important to the decision-making process than my daddy. And there's a woman way more important to me than even my mother who's part of the process. My wife. Committing fully means this, giving our whole heart to where God has us in the moment and to be the man that God wants you to be. So, so what do we do with this? Let me bring one more thought for application. And it's this, is that we live as God intended us to live. We live wholeheartedly as God intended us to live. We live sold out to his plan for us. A direct outgrowth of this wholehearted commitment is a life lived respectfully wholeheartedly and respectfully. As this commitment is made and lived out, the path of life takes on a decidedly Christ-centered focus. But at the same time, there's a recognition of the unique gifts and talents. Godly men take into account how God shaped them. He takes into account how those around them are shaped and what their gifts and abilities are. And you see, each one of us is being created with God with certain passions and certain talents and certain abilities. And we want to, as godly men, live wholeheartedly but not do it all ourselves, but entrust those around us with how God shaped them and put them together. Have you ever, have you ever tried to fill a role that you were never intended to fill? Have you ever had that opportunity in life? Usually it leads to a big failure. You know with me? You're going, well, who would want to do that? I don't know about you, but some of my best lessons in life have learned not through victories, but through what? Through defeats, through, through failures. We're, wait, that's not me. I don't need to be a part of that. That's not what God has shaped me to do. This is not a giftedness I have, not an ability I have. I'm not going to be in that role very well if I have to do it. We learn those things. We wholeheartedly give ourselves to the Lord and say, God, here's what you have. Do what you want with me. You get in the middle of those and you go, man, I have really messed this one up. But let me ask you this. Have you ever found yourself, I hope you have, child of God, found yourself filling a particular role, whatever that is, whether it's official leadership or, or just loving people, as if that's nothing, it's not, it's a lot. But, but, but loving people, where God has you exactly where your gifts and your heart and your ability and your passion all come together, have you been in one of those moments where you get in the middle of it and you go, oh, oh, this is good? You may not say it out loud, but in your mind, you know what I'm saying? You're going, this is where I'm supposed to be. 
This is what God has for me. This is the plan he has. And we go and do it. And we're living wholeheartedly. That is something, my friends, my fellows this morning, we're called to live, to live in this role that God has for us, to make room, be in the midst of what he has. That's why I brought this Proverbs passage in here this morning. It says this, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. You're going, okay, what is my gift? I firmly believe, child of God, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit within you, but he has also at that moment given you at least one gift, probably more than one, that he wants to just see blossom in your life wholeheartedly that will affect your life, that will affect your family's life, that will affect the people around you in great ways to live wholehearted. That's the aspiration we have, fellas to live down that pathway he has for us. But now, how do you get on that pathway? Well, you all know there's a, a decision that has to be made. And maybe you're here this morning, you've never made that kind of decision. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? There comes a place, my friends, where we have to answer a call from God. And man, I think this is harder for men sometimes than women, but I think it's hard for a lot of us to say, okay, I'm going to let go and let God I'm going to surrender myself to him and trust him with my whole life. Maybe you're here today and you've never done that. You say, well, I've gone to church all my life. Great. Going to McDonald's all your life won't make you a hamburger. And going to church all your life won't make you a Christian. We've got to get to a place where we trust Jesus with our whole hearts. Have you done that? Oh, no, I'm a good person. Didn't ask if you're a good person. I said, do you know Jesus? There has to come a place, my friends, where we trust him with our hearts. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Here in a minute, we're going to open this altar up, and you go, well, what's that for? Well, that's a place where you can come and pray with me if you want. I'll pray for you. If you want to come to an altar and pray, maybe you just need to just sit where you're at and not sing and just say, God, something's not right. Bring me to you. What do you need to do to get to where God wants you to be, man? Have you surrendered to him? Are you trusting him? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to be together today and to look at this passage and to think about the calling you have for us as men, not to be dictators, not to be bosses or masters, but, Father, to be servants who lead our families well, who show your grace and your mercy generously, graciously, wholeheartedly. We pray, God, that as we respond to you now, however you lead us to, that you would let us see your, 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 your direction for us and your path for us, and that, Father, we would surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this song. You respond as God leads you this morning.